Welcome to the most accurate podcast presented by 444.com. My name is Greg Smith and I am your host. You should know the drill at this point on this installment of TMAP. We'll review what stood out to us in week 9, then run through some waiver wire recommendations heading into week 10. The music on today's show is a song called Mainland by Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. It's the third track off their 2018 album, Hope Downs. To hear the song in full, plus all the other music from my episodes of the Most Accurate Podcast, check out the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. Today's show is sponsored by Fantasy Draft, the one and only rake-free DFS site in the business. And what does rake-free mean? It means that 100% of entry fees at Fantasy Draft are paid out to contest winners. If you want to try them out on a 7-day trial, go to FantasyDraft.com, sign up with the promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, and say goodbye to the rake. And while we're at it, let's say hello to Justin Edwards. I would hope you're familiar with him through his series of offensive line rankings articles at 444.com, but if you're not, get on it. It pays to have a 444 subscription, of course, but there's also plenty of amazing free content on the site, including Justin's work. So check out the show notes for a link to those articles. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Redwards. Thanks for coming back on the show, Justin. How's it going? Oh, for sure. Glad to be here. I'm doing fantastic. It's another exciting, um, unpredictable Sunday of football. I'm excited to dig into what happened. Yeah, unpredictable is, is the key word. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I had kind of a rough one in terms of predictions, and like the rankings were a little sloppy, although just considering the outcomes we saw, I'm sure that was kind of the case for for most people who were trying to prognosticate <laughs> Week 9 of the NFL. Uh, and let's jump into it. I mean, a little bit later in the show, we're going to dig into your expertise on offensive lines, but let's tackle some of the big-picture Week 9 topics first, and let's start with Booms of the Week. Uh, who made the biggest or most unexpected positive impact on your fantasy teams this week, Justin? Got to go all the way back to Thursday, which feels like weeks ago. But uh, Kenyon Drake, what an incredible game. I was pretty much forced to start him. And Scott Fishbowl turned out to be an accidentally smart move. <laughs> uh, I thought playing against playing him against the 49ers defense after being on the team on Cardinals for like three days was a fool's errand. But... He scored 46 points in that scoring setting. Not typical for everybody, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still a very good day. Yeah. Alfred Morris and Zach Center combined for two touches on the day. It was surprising, for sure. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen with that backfield going forward? Because they've got Tampa Bay this week, and then I think they play the Niners again the following week. David Johnson should be getting back to health at some point. Chase Edmonds, his injury seems like it's a bit more long-term. I wouldn't expect to see him back on the field until maybe after Arizona's Week 12 bye. But are you worried about Drake on the chance that David Johnson can suit up this week and, and you know what impact that might have on Kenyon Drake's touches? Yeah, absolutely. I'm terrified even. I don't know if I could go back to the well if David Johnson is suiting up. If he does suit up, I think it's going to be a crapshoot, honestly. Uh, they both seem to have... Similar skill sets. They both catch passes out of the backfield. They're not really bruisers up the middle. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see. So if I asked you which one of those two you thought is going to score the most fantasy points going forward rest of the season, do you think it's David Johnson or do you think it's Kenyon Drake? I think it's absolutely David Johnson, yeah. Okay. See, I might actually lean Drake. I, I just, I'm a little worried okay. about the David Johnson health stuff. But again, this is a total coin flip. I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. Uh, but for yeah. me, the boom of the week actually came from the same game. I'm surprised that you are also going back to Thursday Night Football. But Kyler Murray, man, like same sort of thing. You look at that matchup against the San Francisco 49ers, this vaunted defense, and Murray did just fine against them. I don't want to say that he's matchup proof because, again, we have 
like Thursday Night Football is weird, and we're going to have some different types of tests coming up. Like when they play in San Francisco in two weeks, I think that'll be uh, – I'll be even more afraid to use Kyler Murray in that spot. But there was one team where I had to force him into action just because I didn't have anybody else. You know, it was a two-quarterback format. All the other QBs are gone. I'm not going to be able to stream somebody off the waiver wire. I had to plug in Murray against the Niners. I didn't feel great about it, and he had a nice game. Uh, I just in general was very impressed with the Cardinals, and I continue to believe that they are one of those teams who – kind of regardless of matchup, they're going to be somewhat productive in in one way or another any given week. And I think they always, in terms of maybe betting angles, are going to be a good bet to cover spreads, despite the fact that they're probably going to be underdogs in most games they play based upon their defense. And I think part of why I like them as, you know, a covering machine is because their defense is going to be getting better now that they have Patrick Peterson back. Um, Do you have any other thoughts on the Cardinals before we move on? Well, obviously we'll touch on offensive lines later, but their offensive line still doesn't look good. They're just scheming away from pressure, and it's really pretty impressive. Cool. Well, we'll yeah, dig into that a little bit later. Uh, but how about one more boom of the week? Which Week 9 benching or DFS fade do you regret the most? Like, who blew up uh, on your bench or, you know, for lack of use in your lineups? And what do you think you missed with that player? Um, pro- probably Sanu. Um, I did not expect Mohamed Sanu to become such an integral part of this offense so quickly. So I really didn't start start him anywhere for the second week in a row since the trade, and um, kind of bit me in the butt because he's sitting there on the bench with his ten receptions and another score. It feels like a bit of a game script anomaly to me. The way that they were trailing early in that game against the Ravens, and like, you look at their running back touches. I think I saw someone tweet out the snap share, and Sony Michelle only had I think twenty one percent of the snaps for New England. And if you're seeing that sort of skew away from the running game and towards the passing game, that would indicate to me that Mohamed Sanu is going to see more targets than you might expect. And so I, I don't think I would have started Sanu either. But do you think this is something that's going to continue going forward? Do you – kind of the same thing with Kenyon Drake. Like are, are you now ready to start Mohamed Sanu without hesitation? Or are you with me and do you think this is more of a, a bit of a game script blip? I could definitely see it as a game script blip for sure. But him getting this kind of usage so soon seems like a positive, at least. Um, I could see wanting to start him against the Eagles if you're desperate in a couple of weeks after their bye. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I probably wouldn't plug him in above a typical wide receiver, too. And so let's run back the same sort of question I had on Drake. Do you think that Mohamed Sanu is going to outscore Philip Dorsett going forward? Ooh, um... Yeah, maybe. I mean, for the full season, I think he's less of a boom-bust player than Dorsett is. He could give you more consistent points, but I don't know if he's going to have a lot of boom weeks. Yeah, it might depend on your scoring system. In like a PPR format, you might want Sanu, but if you're in a a standard league where you don't get points for receptions, then maybe that's the spot where you want Dorsett. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one, and this is one of the reasons why I'm always a little hesitant to use the tertiary players in a New England offense. You know, the, the third receiver, the second receiver. Like, we know that Julian Edelman is going to be fine week to week, right? But right. when you're banking on these guys whose targets or touches could fluctuate from week to week depending upon game plan and game script, uh, you're in a little bit more dangerous territory. Now, you want to be tied to the good offenses, but that is one of those situations where, yeah, I'm not fully convinced Sanu is the guy I want out of those two. I think I might still lean the younger player in Dorset, kind of the more upside guy. But the fact that they traded for him does, you know, speak to 
you know, their desire to use a player like Sanu, and, and that could be damning for Philip Dorsett. Uh, let's move on to Bust of the Week, Justin. Which player made the biggest or most unexpected negative impact on your fantasy rosters this week? DJ Shark, for certain, had his lowest yardage of the season with 32. Uh, he's still targeted nine times. We'll see their quarterback situation moving forward. Uh, Minshew really had a pretty pitiful ending to that game. He had four turnovers in their final possessions where Houston just kind of trounced them. Aaron Jones and his 29 total yards were pretty depressing after his 150 receiving yards last week. But obviously that's some more uh, negative game script that we probably weren't expecting. Green Bay getting blanked in the first half of that game against the Chargers was pretty eye-opening to me. Yeah, I mean, you're reading my mind with these bus picks. I On my list, I have Aaron Jones. I have DJ Chark. I, I mean, basically the whole Jacksonville offense was one that disappointed me. Whether you were using Leonard Fournette, Gardner Minshew, DJ Chark, Chris Conley, I expected them to really be able to take advantage of that Houston defense because typically defenses don't travel super well to London. And the Texans had just lost J.J. Watt. Their secondary was already a mess. I picked the over in that game. I started Minshew everywhere. Like, I started Minshew over Jimmy Garoppolo in Scott Fishbowl, which, you know, in that (laughs) format, God, just put me out of my misery. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, like, that that was such a a bad result for me that, I mean, it really, it killed me across a lot of leagues just being so invested in the Jaguars passing attack. Uh, and, And, again, if you wanted to lean the other way and go with the running game, Fournette didn't do anything either. So, Jacksonville busted the week kind of across the board. One other player who really disappointed me was Allen Robinson. And I think this is a good segue to our next question, which is what player do you think could be a good buy low based upon their poor performance in week nine? I think Allen Robinson actually fits the bill for me as a guy who, you know, you look at the quarterback situation for the Bears and you think, oh, you know, Trubisky is killing this guy's value. But even before this past week, Robinson was doing just fine with Trubisky under center. Trubisky knows that Robinson is the best receiver on that team. It just so happens that this was one really bad week. And if you can parlay, you know, Robinson's bad week with the negative hype around Mitchell Trubisky and and try to convince a trade partner, look, like this isn't working. Like, what what do you want for Allen Robinson? I'll give you some peanuts or some magic beans or whatever. And and (laughs) I think that might be enough to get this done because at this point, if if you're looking, if you're an Allen Robinson owner and you're, seeing how bad that offense looked in a matchup that was supposed to be good from a passing perspective, right? The the Eagles secondary is one that has regularly been one to attack in fantasy. I think Robinson is a good buy low option. Uh, does anybody else stand out to you in that regard heading into week 10? I think Allen Robinson is a great pick. And just going right back to him, I think that this Jacksonville passing offense is a good one. Mm. The receivers, at least. I'm not really concerned whether Minshew or possibly even Foles or back there for the rest of the season. Uh, they've got good matchups for the rest of the season. DJ Shark is still wide receiver one or borderline wide receiver one. Um, so if you can get them on cheap, I would go for it. One other guy I want to throw out as a buy low is Christian Kirk. He's coming off a tough game against the Niners. Only five targets, two catches, eight yards. The week before against the Saints, also you know a pretty tough matchup. He did well, 11 targets, eight catches. But before that, he was injured. And I think the perception, if you're a Kirk owner, might be, well, this guy's not doing much for me anymore. 
but I think the targets are going to continue to be there. It might be tough to pry him away with a Tampa Bay matchup coming up in Week 10, but if you can get Kirk for slightly under market value, if you can just pay regular price for him, I think he's another guy I would be interested in targeting, uh, if only because I think he's the number one receiver on that team. It's not Fitzgerald anymore, it's Kirk and in that offense, with such a high pace, so many targets that should be coming in theory, uh, that's a player I want on my fantasy teams. Absolutely. He's still, even with the early season, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, the thing, the things he does every year when he takes control of the team for the first six weeks, uh, Christian Kirk still has over a quarter of the market share of air yards. Fitzgerald's going to be, you know, kind of phased out of the offense like he is every year as it comes down to the stretch. And they've got a pretty good... Uh, playoff schedules well with uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and then Seattle in 14, 15, and 16. Death, taxes, Darren Fells touchdowns, and Larry Fitzgerald fading down the stretch. These are, <laughs> these are the things that you can always count on. Um, this has been a very Cardinal-centric podcast, and I, I don't know if you want to bring that in right away when we start to talk about offensive line here, Justin, but uh, I, I want to dig into these position groups with you because this is your area of expertise and this is one of my favorite topics in in terms of how do we apply to fantasy stuff that we know about teams and players that uh, that aren't directly scoring points for us I think offensive line is sneakily one of the most important parts of fantasy football even though we don't have these players on our rosters so uh, I want to start off with kind of dating back to the work you've done all season, like you were looking at this stuff in the preseason, and I'm curious which offensive line has made the greatest improvement in your mind relative to those preseason evaluations you had uh, of of the position groups. There's definitely no team I was more incorrect about than the Oakland Raiders. I've been, or not been, but I was very low on this all summer, like bottom five unit low, and they've definitely proved me wrong. Colton Miller has gone from being possibly the worst left tackle in the league during his rookie year to an above average player this year. He's still not phenomenal, but it's a huge boost to go from the worst left tackle in the league to the 15th worst or 15th best. I didn't believe Richie Incognito would come out of retirement and contribute to the level he has so far, uh, mostly because I think he's insane. But I mean, he's come out and he has just cleared running lanes for Josh Jacobs since he came in in the second week. They have some injury concerns right now with Trent Brown leaving the game uh, yesterday and uh, Rodney Hudson still on the mend. But honestly, their depth looked pretty good against the Colts pass rush yesterday, and they're now a, they're probably a top 10 unit now. Yeah, so that Trent Brown injury was one I wanted to dig into you with eventually. Uh, he's the right tackle for Oakland. He injured his knee. How big of a loss do you think that is? Like, What is the impact of that going to be on Derek Carr, on Josh Jacobs, and on that offense in general? If it's a serious injury, I think that we may have to question their outlook for the rest of the season. Uh, he was up and walking around. He wasn't carted off or anything. I think if this was a more important game, like if this was a week 16 or 17 game, maybe they would have tried to force him out there. If he does, for some reason, miss the rest of the season, yeah, I think that would be a little bit of a hit on um, on Jacobs and the passing tag. So you know, the Raiders are one of those teams that, really impressed you this season which offensive line do you think has regressed the most whether you know due to injuries or due to some other factors like who, who has been worse than you expected well let's stay out in california uh, the rams have been the, the biggest regression as an offensive line i had them up as a top five or top seven unit in the preseason even though i knew they lost over 200 career starts between uh, roger saffold and john sullivan i really thought the two tackles 
uh, Andrew Whitworth and Rob Havenstein could could carry the team because I think that having two great tackles is almost as important as having a decent unit all the way across. But that hasn't proved itself correct. Uh, Whitworth is 38 years old in two weeks. He looks like it. Havenstein has allowed 30 quarterback pressures this year. Whew. He allowed 33 in totality last year, and he hasn't even played half the snaps so far this year. So they both have looked terrible, and the rest of the line is just replacement-level players. So they've probably dropped uh, maybe 15 or 20 ranks since I started off in week one. What does that do for you when you're looking at that offense? Uh, because you know Todd Gurley is a guy who was already kind of on the outs in terms of being regarded as this amazing fantasy asset. Like I, I saw him traded in a couple of my leagues this week for halls that were not all that demanding, but he still has that name brand value. I, I get it though. When I see the way that their offensive line has looked, when I see kind of some of the steps back that Jared Goff has taken, and maybe those steps that Jared Goff has taken backward are due to the offensive line. Like how do you kind of parse all this out? How much of their offensive struggles do you attribute to the line? How much of you, how much of it do you attribute to, you know, the skill position players themselves? Like what's your approach to kind of parsing all of that out, Justin? I try to look at all the metrics I can, you know, the ones that we have available that we have quantifiable evidence on offensive line play and see if I can just take the meat from the bone. You know, if it, if a team has an incredible running back and their offensive line has the worst adjusted line yards in the league, but the running back is still contributing, well then maybe they're offensive line proof somehow. Maybe they're so involved in the passing game that it doesn't matter that their offensive line is terrible. But I think the Rams are a good case study. Like you said, you can see how much Jared Goff has struggled Anyone that you stuck behind the line last year as a running back was producing, be it Gurley or C.J. Anderson or Malcolm Brown, it literally didn't matter. As long as you had the ball in your hand, you're going to give us fantasy points. And that's completely turned on its head this year. Um, I mean, Gurley's still producing, but Malcolm Brown had a decent game. Darrell Henderson really hasn't been able to do much behind the line. And the fantasy pieces just aren't as enticing as they were last year. Right. And I think Henderson might be the, the big winner here. And we've seen his usage kind of ramp up, but... One of the things it seems like he does well is run the ball, you know, on the outside, like on those those pitches, on those kind of swing pass type of routes. Too, uh, not that he's being used a ton in the passing game. None of the running backs there in LA are, unfortunately. But scheming him to the outside to maybe mitigate some of this offensive line does seem to be working for them in the in the past couple weeks. Is that something you expect to continue with the Rams? Yeah, I certainly hope so. Uh, trying to get him outside the box, and that's something they're going to have to do. They ran a, a ton of um, outside and inside zone last year. That's because they had their offensive linemen that could just manhandle the defensive line. So I think if they're going to have continued success with Darrell Henderson in specific, they're going to have to get him outside of the tackle box, uh, get him out in open field. Yeah, it's really interesting just trying to figure out where the blame lies, where the praise should lie with some of these teams, because there are 11 guys on the field for any given team at one time. And that's, it's a, it's a true team game. So parsing that out is difficult. Now, what about kind of, what about looking at this from the other perspective? When we look at the defenses that are going up against these offensive lines, which defenses make it toughest for you to properly evaluate the opposing offensive line? Like maybe, 
some defenses that are so good they just cause problems no matter how good the offensive line is or uh, you know maybe defenses that are so bad that they can make any offensive line look good like who stands out to you in that regard uh, on the defensive side of the ball we have the you know the, the three top defenses at least in my eyes right now being the Steelers um, the 49ers and the Patriots they're just complete units at least the, the latter two and then the Steelers have such a great pass rush that they really are making all offensive lines look pretty bad. Another team that people may not associate with being a completely dominant defense are the Carolina Panthers. They have such a good coverage duo with uh, Ross Cockrell and James Bradbury that quarterbacks are forced to hold onto the ball longer. Linemen have to hold their blocks longer. Inevitably, bad things happen, be it you know offensive line holding or getting sacked, throwing picks, all that good stuff. You can see this in action in the first half yesterday when they played Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee had the ball for nine of the first 30 minutes. So the whole first half, they had the ball for nine minutes. They just sack after sack after sack. And I th- I think how they kind of mitigated that was to just go back to the running game and stop depending on Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball around. And then a, a bad defense, uh, the, Seahaw- the Seahawks have no pass rush to speak of. Um, it leaves their coverage team, which is nothing like it used to be, very vulnerable. They're 28th in adjusted sack rate. They're pretty much just winning, winning games on Russell Wilson's back, which I think we all know. But, yeah, they kind of make every opposing offensive line look stout. So do you have to take any performance against them kind of with a grain of salt when you are evaluating that offensive line for your weekly rankings? Yeah, for sure. Um, in, unless someone has a, just an incredible performance, I'm probably not moving them up in rankings if they played the Seahawks. But on the other note, if they have a bad performance against the Seahawks front, then I'm probably pushing them down pretty far. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, we've talked a lot about the offensive lines themselves. Let's talk about the fantasy players that they're impacting. Which guys, you know, running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, tight end, whatever, do you feel are significantly affected either positively or negatively based upon the play of their offensive lines? Like, Give me a handful of guys that, that stand out to you. The entire Pittsburgh Steelers team, which is difficult to comprehend with <laughs> how few points they score but that offensive line is actually really good and I really think it is a good showing of how bad Mason Rudolph is that they're still not producing any points well I guess Jalen Samuels is fine when he's getting those 14 dump off passes or whatever it was um, all Saints players even with Breeze or Teddy Bridgewater back there uh, it doesn't matter uh, we've seen Latavius Murray put up Alvin Kamara-type numbers since Alvin Kamara's been gone, and they are completely different athletic profiles. But they have such giant lanes to run through, it doesn't matter. Baltimore's running game has looked just as good as we thought it might in the preseason, and it's still continuing on. Uh, It'd be nice if some Justice Hill shares reflected that running game, but I'll, I'll deal with my Mark Ingram shares and be happy about it. But those are a bunch of guys that are boosted on good offenses, and their offenses are so good because of their great offensive line. Yeah, that makes sense. I I was really impressed with the Ravens last night against the Patriots, uh, especially considering how good that Patriots defense had looked, albeit against a a soft schedule to open the year. But Baltimore up front was just manhandling them, and that that was super impressive. Justin, are there any other insights or interesting stats uh, on the impacts of offensive line play for fantasy football that, that stand out to you? No, not necessarily. Uh, I must say I'm doing great at um, uh, DFS defenses the more I dig into these matchups, though. So definitely look for the article for some defensive plays as well. 
Yeah, okay. Well, we'll definitely be tuned into that this week to see uh, who you got for Week 10. Uh, and we're going to dig into the waiver wire for Week 10 in just a minute. But first, let's take a break for the sponsor of the show, and that's Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business. They're running the largest rake-free contests out there each and every week. All told, Fantasy Draft is regularly paying out millions of dollars in prizes, and all of those winnings are rake-free. That's right. Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools. And this is not just a limited promotion. 100% of Fantasy Draft's contests are rake-free. Meanwhile, other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes. They can squeeze the prize pools, make it harder for players like you to win. But at Fantasy Draft, the days of paying up to 16% of your entry fees to the house are over. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with the promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and you'll get a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with promo code 444. Don't miss your shot at millions of dollars in rake-free contests this season. Start playing at FantasyDraft.com today. All right, Justin, before we dive into uh, the position-specific waivers, let's talk about a couple injuries and how those might impact the types of waiver decisions you might want to make. Uh, we talked about Trent Brown, the Oakland right tackle. How about Ryan Kelly in Indianapolis, the center there? What does this do for you in terms of evaluating the Indianapolis offense? Are you worried at all about Ryan Kelly's injury coming out of Week 9? Uh, I am for sure. If, if he misses time, I don't think it's going to be great for their offense. Depending on the team, the center could be the most critical part of the offensive line. And in this exact scenario, Ryan Kelly controls all the protection calls. The Steelers kind of had their, like we already talked about, the Steelers have a great defense, but they kind of had their way with that offensive line after Ryan Kelly went out. Yeah, I, w- I would be concerned if it's their backup center, whose name is escaping me right now, and um, Brian Hoyer. Well, you mentioned Brian Hoyer. That's the next big injury we need to talk about. Jacoby Brissett injuring his knee. It looked like maybe his ankle also got rolled up on a little bit uh, when he got hurt. And we're going to start off on quarterbacks for this reason. Uh, they're... There are six teams on bye in Week 10. The Denver Broncos, the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles, and Washington. So, as usual, we're going to try to stick to players who are available in at least 50% of Yahoo leagues uh, and hopefully go deeper than that because, you know, if someone's owned in 40% of leagues, that means chances are if it's a competitive format that, you know, the players that we talk about aren't necessarily going to be available Brian Hoyer is going to be available in every league everywhere. Uh, so he's one of the few guys that if you're in a two-quarterback league, you can try to pick up this week and stream if need be. But considering this injury to their center, considering the fact that he's Brian Hoyer, are, are we really interested uh, in picking up him in relief of Jacoby Brissett? Because I assume Brissett is going to miss uh, at least a game or two here. In desperation leagues, I understand it. Um, I'm in some positions myself where... Maybe I'll put in a $0 bid for Brian Hoyer, and hopefully I don't get him. <laughs> but, I mean, they're going to have a couple juicy matchups here in the next few weeks. Uh, they get Miami this week. But, yeah, without without their center, and we'll see if T.Y. Hilton's in there. But hopefully he's not missing the game as well. Yeah, I guess you have to in desperate leagues. But if it's just a regular two-quarterback league, I'm certainly not benching anyone to put Brian Hoyer in my league. Yeah, I think if you end up getting him off waivers this week, and and you should go try to target him if you're in need of a quarterback or if you just have a bench spot to use on you know an arbitrary pickup, a guy who just has general value across across any position. Because again, in a two quarterback league, all starters at the quarterback position have some value. I like the idea of trying to get Brian Hoyer and hopefully you know crossing your fingers that he has a big game against Miami, and then just trying to flip him for literally anything you can get. Because the matchup is so good, I think that's a, a, a 
that's a route you can go with Brian Hoyer, but I definitely don't want to rely on him long-term, especially because we have to assume that Brissett is going to be back eventually. I don't know how long that's going to be. We're going to have to keep an eye on that. But if you're not picking up Brian Hoyer, there really aren't a whole lot of options for you in a two-quarterback format. I think the two players you might still see out there on waiver wires are Brandon Allen of the Broncos, who looked surprisingly good yesterday, and Dwayne Haskins. Both of them are on bye in Week 10, though, so you might see them dropped. You might see them still available for that reason. And if you are going to need a quarterback for maybe a Kyler Murray Week 12 bye or something like that, those are two guys you can go out and get. Otherwise, you're kind of grasping at straws here. I think you could maybe make a speculative bid on Chase Daniel, assuming that Mitch Trubisky might eventually get benched again if, if this poor play continues. But this is not something you want to count on. It's just something if you're truly, truly desperate. Uh, let's talk about one quarterback league. So let's talk about guys you could consider streaming in Week 10. Does anyone stand out to you, Justin? Because there are a lot of options in that 40 to 100% owned bucket going into Week 10. Yeah, I think... Um... Daniel Jones could be an interesting one. Uh, obviously, they haven't played this week yet, so we'll see how the game against Dallas goes. But he gets um, he gets the Jets next week. They just handed the Dolphins their first win, so seems like a pretty decent matchup there. What do you think about the other side of that matchup? Because the Giants have t- typically been a good matchup for quarterbacks. Sam Darnold has looked so bad over the past two weeks, even given a good matchup against the Dolphins. Is he just broken at this point in your eyes, or can we expect Darnold to bounce back going forward? That's a that's a tough offensive line situation going on there too. <laughs> the Dolphin Stadium playing the Ghostbusters theme after an interception was pretty remarkable in reference to him seeing ghosts or whatever. Um, I'm not too excited about that entire offense, honestly. I mean, start Bell and Crowder if you got him, but the Robbie Anderson boom bust weeks are. Almost all busts. Yeah. I, I mean, those are the two guys who stand out to me based on, based on the matchups, Darnold and Daniel Jones. Because if you look at the other guys who are low-owned, all of the matchups are a little bit sketchy. Like, you could look at Mitchell Trubisky. He's at home against Detroit. And Detroit, their defense has been so hit or miss. But but Trubisky's been so bad that I don't want to rely on him. You go down to Ryan Tannehill at 18% ownership. He's going up against the Chiefs. And so maybe you could tuck yourself into some garbage time stats from him if they have to play catch up a little bit. But that Kansas City defense is one that's been coming on a little bit stronger. I'm not super excited about using Tannehill. And other than that, you're looking at Mason Rudolph against the Rams, Matt Moore at the Titans, Kyle Allen at Green Bay, Ryan Fitzpatrick at Indianapolis, Ryan Finley against Baltimore. Like The the options are pretty few and far between. And with so many teams on by, this could be a pretty ugly week at quarterback, I think. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, as you're running through those names, I'm definitely feeling a little sick. <laughs> do, do any of those guys stand out to you as one that you have a little bit more optimism about? Uh, for me, it's probably Tanhill again, based upon the game script that we might see against the Chiefs and the fact that he's at home. The fact that he's been competent over the past couple weeks, despite being Ryan Tannehill. I, but I, I don't know, like none of these names are really exciting to me. Do any of them stand out to you? I think Tannehill's got the best bet of delivering fantasy points and you know, not putting a complete dud up. But there's a few in there that are landmines. I don't want to play with Rudolph any week, honestly. After paying a lot of attention to him this week, he's he does not look good at all. His numbers are fine, but I don't think he threw past uh, 10 yards more than two or three times the entire game. 
Yeah, catching the Rams coming off a bye is, is not necessarily somewhere I want to be. Like, their defense hasn't been as great as it was in past seasons, but it's still scary enough to where I don't want to use Rudolph in there. Now, I could couch all this discussion and say, look for Derek Carr first if you need a streamer. He's at 46% ownership on Yahoo, uh, so he might be out there, and he gets the Chargers at home on Thursday Night Football. He's been playing relatively well. That offense, like again, kind of based upon the strength up front that they have, has been surprisingly good this year in Oakland. I'm, I think you have to look for Carr ahead of all these other guys. If you can't get him, then I think it's Daniel Jones, and otherwise it's... Yeah, I don't know. Pick your poison because it's, it's ugly. Right. <laughs> uh, let's get into running back. And this is another position where there just isn't all that much out there. Like I tried to come up with a list of players that you could potentially go after. And there's some handcuff types out there. You know, guys who are playing behind other running backs who if those starters get hurt, the backups are going to come into value. But we didn't really get much of that in week nine. The one backfield that kind of jumps out to me is Detroit's because Ty Johnson is still 40% owned. J.D. McKissick is at 12% ownership. Paul Perkins is available everywhere. I I don't want any part of Paul (laughs) Perkins, but Ty Johnson, J.D. McKissick, these guys are at least seeing the snaps and the touches, right? Like McKissick had eight opportunities, you know, four carries, four targets. Ty Johnson had 12, nine carries, three targets. Ty Johnson was the snap share leader by far, 62% compared to 38% for McKissick. I just I, I get hesitant when I'm whenever you're looking at a mixed bag or like a heavy split backfield like this. With that said, if these guys are out there in your league, they might be the best options you have. So, what would you do if you're looking to pick up one of these guys? Do you go after Ty Johnson? Do you chase the the snap share, or do you go after McKissick and chase the targets? Uh, what, what's your take on Detroit's backfield? I think if you have to use one of these guys, it's got to be Ty Johnson. Especially for the running back position, the the opportunities are are king here. The the snap percentage is going to be king. McKissick did get a lot of passing game usage, which is nice. But uh, I think if you have to use someone, Ty Johnson's got the the higher possibility of getting to the twelve to fifteen touch range, where I don't think McKissick has that in his range of outcomes. So if Ronald Jones is also out there, and you're comparing, say, Ronald Jones to one of these Lions guys. Jones is only 39% owned, and just when we, when we think we're out on the Buccaneers' backfield, he kind of steps up, Jones does, has his biggest snap share of the year, 53% in Week 9. Are you buying into this at all? I, I just, I'm, we've been burned so many times by like a big game from Jones only to see him go back to being the second banana behind Peyton Barber the following week. I, I, I'm too traumatized by this backfield. I'm probably not going to be going after Jones with reckless abandon, but... He might be the best option out there at running back, right? Yeah, I I think he probably is the best option out there. Um, I know it's hard to stomach because that backfield's been torturous for a couple of seasons rolling now. But I'd rather have him than anyone in Detroit's backfield right now. If anything, just to throw in my bench and see what comes of the rest of the next few weeks. See if he's usable by the time my fantasy playoffs come in, uh, especially if it's a league where I'm struggling at the running back position yeah a few other names to throw out here Darrell Henderson 24% owned we talked about him a little bit earlier as a player who seems to fit well with the fact that their offensive line in LA hasn't been that good I like Gus Edwards a little bit at 4% owned only because the weekly work is there he's getting a handful of touches 
each week, and he has that generic handcuff upside if Mark Ingram gets hurt. Uh, the last player I'll throw out here is Trey Edmonds, only 1% owned, and he's getting touches while James Conner is out, while Benny Snell is out. I just don't know if you can expect that to continue. I, I, was, I would assume that those guys ahead of him on the depth chart from earlier in the year are going to come back eventually, and Edmonds isn't going to sustain value for very long. But as you noted earlier, the Steelers' offensive line is a good one, and Edmonds if he's going to continue to see work, could have some small value for really, really deep formats. Uh, Let's move on to wide receiver next, though. And I want to start with Devonta Parker because Preston Williams injured his knee. Having a huge game, Williams was. But that leaves Parker as kind of the clear number one wide receiver for the Dolphins. And I... It's, it wouldn't be a T-Map waiver wire show without me talking about Miami's receivers, but here we are yet again. <laughs> Devonta Parker, 35% owned. What do you think? Is this guy the top waiver wire ad at the wide receiver position, or do you think it's somebody else? Yeah, I think it's got to be. I mean, he's uh, as we talk about, as, as everyone talks about every time Miami's brought up, they're going to always have positive game script for the passing game, as in negative game script, I, said, I would <laughs> suppose. <laughs> uh, they're always going to be playing from behind. Um, which is clearly a positive for a wide receiver. They have had a pretty difficult schedule. They haven't made good with any of their easy games either, but they're going to have a lot more easy games going forward. They've got Cleveland. They've got the Giants in Week 15. They've got the Bengals in Week 16. So they've got a lot of good bright spots there. If you've got any any fab left, this is a, a fab buster for sure. Yeah, I think another player you can look at is Cole Beasley, only 29% owned. He's been pretty consistent over the past few weeks, kind of the clear, locked-in, number two receiver there behind John Brown for Buffalo. A player I might be more interested in is Zach Pascal, who, with T.Y. Hilton out this past week, put up a really nice game. He very easily could have been my boom of the week uh, back from the first part of the show here, but Pascal is only 20% owned. He ran a route on 100% of Indianapolis's dropbacks while playing 93.3% of snaps in his last two games. That's per uh, John Daigle, at not Jay Daigle on Twitter uh, from Roto World. He gets Miami in Week 10, and if Hilton continues to miss time, Pascal seems like the number one receiver for the Colts. Even with Brian Hoyer, I think that's a player you can go after on waivers. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Those those stats are mind-blowing. I had no idea. I could see that he's getting plenty of usage just by target rates and by seeing him on the field, but I didn't know he was in on pretty much 100% of the snaps. Uh, Cole, Cole, Ble- Cole Beasley, the red zone machine, is uh, <laughs> Go quite, the two- yeah, quite the 2019 narrative. <laughs> Who else stands out to you at, at wide receiver? Do any of these other low ownership guys catch your eye? Um, Ola B.C. Johnson, he logged 58 snaps yesterday with Thielen leaving after a series, maybe not even a full series. So that might be something worth keeping an eye on if uh, Thielen's going to go back to missing more time. Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard had his, what is that, his second concussion in three games, so he might be missing some time again. So Darius Slayton's worth a, worth a look. Yeah, I don't really think there's any need for the Giants to rush Shepard back, considering the state of their season. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to push him, and I, I hope that they just take it real easy, let him get back to full health, and and don't mess around, because concussions are, are no good. And on that note, I do think Darius Slayton has to be up there in the conversation in terms of players that you really need to take a long look at off waivers, because he's shown some chemistry with Daniel Jones, and we know he's fast. Uh, if he continues to get targets in that offense, uh, they're, they're another team 
like Miami, who's going to be playing from behind a lot based upon the weakness of their defense. Uh, I like Slayton a lot. I'll just rattle off a few other names that you can go look at. Auden Tate is at 20% ownership. Alex Erickson is at 6% ownership. Uh, your, your local Bengals, Justin, uh, th- those guys are out there in a lot of leagues. Uh, <laughs> I can't AJ, imagine why. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think about that move to Ryan Finley, I guess, as a quick sidebar? Is that something that you think is going to hurt these receivers? Do you think it matters? I don't think it matters, honestly. I'm not quite the Andy Dalton hater that a lot of people are, or especially Bengals fans are. I think he's a perfectly fine quarterback. Uh, I think it's a move that had to happen for the team's sake. Uh, they're clearly terrible, so they need to see what they have in Ryan Finley and figure out if they're going to use their premium draft pick on a quarterback or not. Yeah, well, I mean, this is kind of the the weird catch-22 of these changes, is I, is I get that argument, but at the same time, if Ryan Finley was really the answer, wouldn't he already have been starting for them? Like, wouldn't they have given him his shot sooner? Like, I think right. almost regardless of what Finley does – if they get the first overall pick, they're going to take Tua or whoever. I, I I don't really buy that narrative. I think it's kind of silly to look at it that way. And, and with that in mind, like I feel really bad for Andy Dalton because I agree with you. Like The hate has gone a bit too far on him, and I don't think he's a terrible quarterback. I don't think he's a guy you're necessarily going to win a Super Bowl with, but he's probably better than Ryan Finley. And with that in mind, I might downgrade the offense in general for Cincinnati. But who knows? Like Sometimes these quarterback changes are less about what it – does for you know individual players and more about what it does for the team as a whole like maybe it breathes some new life into them it's a bit of a fresh start for the franchise going forward for the rest of the season like this is one of the reasons why I think that Chicago probably should just bench Trubisky and get Chase Daniel or whoever in there it's just mix it up and give your like defensive players something to believe in or something to look forward to because it just hasn't been working with these guys uh, the, the more entrenched players under center there. But uh, we're, we're off the rails here. Let's get back to wide receivers. Uh, A.J. Brown is still only 19% owned. Debo Samuel, 12% ownership. Those guys are clearly locked in to seeing targets for their offenses. The Niners offense is one that does kind of ebb and flow, it seems, from week to week. They're, they're kind of Patriots West. I mean, go, go figure, right? Uh, you, you get Jimmy Garoppolo over there. But uh, I, I worry that Samuel's not going to be usable every week. Um if you're looking for some more Hail Mary type pickups, uh, Taylor Gabriel, only 5% owned. His targets are, are starting to ramp back up now that he's healthy again. Paris Campbell, 3% ownership for the Colts. Although, again, Brian Hoyer there kind of throws a monkey wrench into any wide receiver recommendations. And we have to think that T.Y. Hilton is going to come back eventually. Uh, Hunter Renfro had a really nice week nine. He's only 2% owned. And Josh Reynolds at 1% ownership. If Brandon Cooks can't come back from his concussion this week, Reynolds is a player who might have a big week in store. And then Keelan Cole, uh, we talked a lot earlier in the show about how disappointing the Jaguars were in Week 9. Keelan Cole was the lone bright spot there. I think seven targets for five catches, something like that, and a handful of yards. Uh, Cole looked pretty good. He's shown flashes in the past. I think if you're you know, looking for uh, those deep league type of wide receiver additions, those are all guys you can look at. Uh, let's move on to tight end next. And w- what's your take on the tight end position at this point? Because we had a lot of guys that we expected to have big week 10s, you know, John U. Smith, Cameron Brait, not really come through while some of the, you know, less appealing players, uh, Noah Fant, Mike Gusecki, did have big week nines. What's your approach to mining the waiver wire for tight end pickups if all of these types of players are available? Like, do you go after the more established guys? Do you go after the guys who just boomed more recently? Like, it's kind of a crapshoot regardless, but what are you doing at the tight end position this week if you need somebody? Outside of just throwing my hands up, I don't typically chase the points because, I don't know, 
<laughs> tight ends are so difficult this year. Uh, I played a lot of Cameron Brait, despite knowing that he was sharing snaps at tight end. I played a lot of them in DFS just because of the price, and I knew that that team was going to score a lot, so I was just chasing a scoring opportunity. So I guess that's my answer. I'm, I'm chasing scoring opportunities and tight ends and ones that I don't have a, a good piece in. It's interesting Noah Fant broke off that huge gain. It was his first touchdown of the season, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But he looked really good on that run after catch. He was plowed into a few people, then he outran some corners to get to the end zone. It was pretty great. Denver didn't throw a lot, but he and Cortland Sutton combined for 60% of uh, Brandon Allen's passes. So it's kind of a, a funneled workload there with Brandon Allen behind center. So I would probably go after him out of this group of relative unknowns. Yeah, I think you have to just chase the overall usage, and I think what you brought up with Fant is really important. Now that Emmanuel Sanders is gone, he's kind of the clear second or third target in that offense, and that matters, even if the offense isn't great. I think you can look to Dallas Goddard on that note as well. He's still only 27% owned, and Deshaun Jackson re-injured his abdomen in Week 9. Alshon Jeffrey had a minor ankle injury. Uh, It doesn't sound like it's anything too serious, but it's something to monitor, and if those guys are at all hampered or if they just straight up miss games that means more targets for Dallas Goddard and his workload was already pretty solid like he's he didn't hold off Zach Ertz again in week nine like Ertz was a really good bounce back candidate I I used him in DFS a little bit but I I think Goddard's targets are still pretty locked in and like there was a league where I started Greg Olson over him and I mean looking back like maybe I should have just used Goddard I don't know that's going to be kind of a tougher decision for me going forward I think I'd Uh, stick I think I'd stick with Olson. Uh, Doug Peterson did say that the the Sean Jackson pulling from yesterday's game was a little bit precautionary. It seems like he's supposed to be starting coming out of the bye in week 11. I think I'd just stick back with Greg Olson, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. The, t- the tight end position in general is just tough. I've had such a good time with defensive and special teams or DSTs this year, which is kind of rare for me, and I've had such a bad time with tight ends. It's difficult. Yeah. Uh, the only other player I really want to highlight here as a guy whose workload is going to probably ramp up is Mike Gusecki, 4% ownership, and with Preston Williams injured, that probably means more targets for Gusecki. Uh, if you're really, really desperate, you can go to Ryan Griffin, 3% ownership, Josh Hill, 1% ownership, maybe Jared Cook won't be ready to go coming out of New Orleans by, uh, and then the real dumpster dives, Jacob Hollister, he's unowned everywhere. Demetrius Harris, unowned everywhere. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, the other tight end there for Cleveland, injured his knee. So maybe Harris sees some more targets, although I don't know if either of those guys are ones you want to bank on. Like Hollister's a little more interesting to me because of the way Seattle has made sure that like whoever their primary pass catching tight end is, like that guy's going to see targets. And Hollister did that in week nine. Maybe that continues, but I I wouldn't count on it. It's just something else to look for. Uh, let's talk about streaming defenses. This has been something you just said you've had success with. Who do you like uh, for Week 10 in that regard? You know, in, in one of those um, not owned in my league scenarios, it's pretty pretty impressive that the Ravens are only 44% owned. Um, if, if they're there, I would make them probably my priority waiver addition. Um, we've kind of already, we've touched on the Bengals' offensive line not being great. We've touched on Ryan Finley getting his first start. I would eat that up if I could find them out there. Yeah, I think they're the clear one if they're available, but they're owned in 44% of Yahoo leagues, which indicates that 
I think a lot of people probably held them through the bye, or not through the bye, through the matchup with New England, uh, looking ahead to this one against Cincinnati. But if for whatever reason somebody saw the Patriots on the schedule with the Ravens and said, oh, I'm going to cut Baltimore, stream somebody else, uh, Baltimore's right back into the streaming conversation in Week 10. A few other ones that are possibly owned or likely owned, uh, the Jets against Daniel Jones and the Giants. Uh, they're at 53% ownership because they just played Miami. Uh, chances are they are not available because of that, but they might become available after you know how poorly that, that team just in general looked in Week 9. Maybe the Jets get dropped and you can pick them up to stream against Daniel Jones. Uh, Indianapolis is facing the Dolphins in Week 10. The Colts are 36% owned. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs are at Tennessee, but they're only 34% owned. Just one of those game script plays, uh, in general, Kansas City's offense, even with Matt Moore, has been good enough to put up points, and that drives the opposing team to have to you know pass to keep up. And when you put the Titans into a predictable game flow like that, maybe Ryan Tannehill throws some interceptions, maybe the Chiefs' pass rush can get after him a little bit better and cause some turnovers. What's your take on the Titans' offensive line? We haven't talked about them. Do you like them? How are they playing so far for you this season? They're not playing great. Uh, they're they're another uh, faller, like we were talking about some uh, regressing offensive lines earlier. I was kind of waiting on Taylor Lewan to come back and give him that boost after he was suspended for the first four weeks for the PD or HGH or whatever it is. He got suspended for it, but he came back, and he's not really doing any better. Um, he's one of the most penalized offensive linemen in the league. Offensive line penalties are not something that gets talked about a lot for probably good reasons, but... I mean, nothing's going to halt a drive more than starting it off first and 20 or ending up three and 15 or third and 15 because you have a holding penalty. Uh, but yeah, Tennessee has not looked all that great. Yeah. So on that note, it sounds like you would also agree that the Chiefs are a decent, decent streaming option. Uh, but again, they might not be available in your league uh, at 34% ownership. If you're looking for defenses that are more readily available, the four that stand out to me are the Lions. They'll be on the road against Mr. Trubisky at Chicago. They're 7% owned. The New York Giants, on the flip side of that matchup, they get to face Sam Darnold in New Jersey, 3% ownership. The Arizona Cardinals, not a defense I would typically recommend streaming, but they're going up against Jameis Winston. They have Patrick Peterson back. The Cardinals are only 2% owned. And then the flip side of that matchup, the Buccaneers get just a lot of opportunities against that up-tempo Arizona offense and if the Bucks have more opportunities that's more chances for them to generate turnovers and maybe they can do that against the cards the Bucks are only two percent owned which one of those four teams stands out to you the most the Lions the Giants the Cardinals or the Bucks like which one of them are you streaming if you have the option the Bucks definitely they're a pass funnel defense as it is so well we talked about Drake earlier and how amazing he looked against the 49ers defense but the Bucks are going to try to to halt that uh first force Kyler Murray to throw the ball and, you know, maybe we'll get 30, 35, 40 pass attempts from Kyler Murray and that'll give us a floor on sacks and possibly some, some turnovers. Yeah, good deal. I think I prefer the Giants just based upon all that Ghostbusters, Sam Darnold nonsense that's been going down. <laughs> but it, I mean, I don't know, the Lions against Trubisky too. Like there are a lot of juicy, bad quarterback matchups. Like all the struggles that we had trying to find a QB streamer this week, those are making it very easy to find a defensive streamer this week. So right, we'll have exactly. to see how it all plays out. Uh, now, tied to all of these additions that we might be trying to make for Week 10, we're going to have to drop some players. Justin, who are some somewhat prominent players that you think might surprisingly be droppable? Some of the guys getting up there in age. Uh, we talked about Larry Fitz earlier. Uh, I've got no problem probably just cutting bait with him. I mean, 
try to see what you can get for him. But as the season goes on, you know, it's, he's going to get less and less usage. I was holding out hope for Delaney Walker, you know, to come back and be healthy. And he gave us a couple of weeks and then faded into the background. And now he's not been even on the field. So just, yeah, some older guys getting up there and they just need to be sent off to the waiver wire pasture. Yeah, I think along those same lines, you can look at injured guys. I, despite the reports that Deshaun Jackson is expected back after the bye, I think you can cut him again. Sterling Shepard, same thing. Uh, another old dude you might want to cut bait with is Frank Gore if you're still holding out hope for him. Uh, the transition to Devin Singletary was really put into effect in Week 9. We talked about it on last week's show, but uh, Gore has definitely fallen behind Devin Singletary in that pecking order for Buffalo. So he's a guy I would cut bait with. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling just is not oh, yeah. delivering man and I love the boom I love the boom bust potential with him in general but he's definitely more of a best ball type player or a DFS type play than someone you want to hold on your roster because he's just not delivering consistent volume and you you can't plug that type of player into your rosters with any sort of confidence and so that that's another player I'd be looking to move off of what do you think about Terry McLaurin there for Washington now that Dwayne Haskins seems to be set up there to start for the rest of the year. Like, I don't know if Washington's actually going to keep up with that, but it does seem like they're incentivized to see what they have in the rookie, try to get him some real NFL reps and get him ready to go for maybe next season, have him take his lumps or whatever. But that doesn't necessarily reflect very well on the receivers for Washington. But McLaurin looked okay in week nine. I just, I don't know, long-term for the rest of the year, I'd be worried about holding him and expecting him to do much. What's your take on that situation? I, I would like to hold him. Just that that narrative is so fun. <laughs> sure. The, the two rookies coming from the same college, and it sounds so nice. Um, you know, a, a very similar situation with James Washington, and that's not panning out either. It, it's such a nice narrative, and we saw McLaurin have a few nice games, but they weren't with Dwayne Haskins, and no one's having any nice games with Haskins, so McLaurin might be a droppable piece too. Yeah. The only other kind of subset of players I would tab for this discussion are if you're carrying backup tight ends on your roster, now is the time to start letting those guys go. As we talked about during the tight end waiver pickup section, there are a lot of guys who are potentially viable and you know one touchdown away from being startable in your league. And with that in mind, let the waiver wire be your bench for the tight end position. You don't have to keep extra guys there uh, unless they have maybe really, really high upside. Like if you have... Austin Hooper or Darren Waller or whoever, and you want to hold on to Dallas Goddard, maybe I get that. But if you're holding Cameron Brait or Jonu Smith or Noah Fant when you have you know a more locked-in tight end as your starter, I think you can let those guys go. Like I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do in that league where I have Olsen and Dallas Goddard. Like With Goddard on by, I think he's probably someone I'm going to cut. And along those lines, in most situations, I think if you have a backup tight end who isn't you know a, a really notable player, you let those guys go. Go chase some upside with you know a handcuff running back. Try to find somebody who could come into a lot of value going forward. I think I think that's the other subset of players I would look to cut bait on this week. Right, and you you also don't have to protect those players. The deeper you get into the year, um, the more people or the later it gets in the year, and people start to pop up on the waiver wire, you're competing with less teams to get those players too, because the the owner who's one and eight or two and seven or whatever is is not going to be fighting you to get that player. They're probably not even using the waiver wire anymore. So you're only fighting with nine teams as opposed to the 12 teams you are in week one. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's a, a bit of a sad reality for fantasy that people just stop trying once they're out of it. But it happens <laughs> right. in yeah. every league everywhere. So, uh, yeah, really, really glad you brought that up. Justin, I think that's all I got. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this show up? No, uh, thanks for having me on, Greg. It's always a pleasure talking football and uh, it's a pleasure adding the content here at 4 for 4. Yeah, and listeners, you should definitely be checking out those O-line articles. Uh, you, Justin is ranking them every week and that's free content. You do not need a subscription to get that. Uh, not to say that you shouldn't get a 4 for 4 subscription because there's a bunch of other amazing stuff that you get access to once you... Uh, buy in but uh, for now uh, if you just want to get a taste of part of what we do really well at the site uh, Justin's at Justin's articles are an awesome starting point kind of a, a springboard into uh, what more you could expect from 444.com uh, Justin thank you very much for coming on the show why don't you let people know uh, where they can find you on social media and uh, plug anything else you want to right uh, just keep your eyes on 444 I'll be popping up a new article every week on offensive line play and matchups to exploit and if you want to give me a follow over on Twitter, it's Justin underscore Redwoods. Thanks again, Greg. Yeah, no problem. And uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back again next week uh, with more of the same, a new guest. John and Anthony should be back later this week with some sneaky starts, some defensive streamers of their own. So stay subscribed for that. Make sure you're, you're listening to them later in the week. Um, otherwise, I will catch you next week. Until then, adios. Thanks for listening to the most accurate podcast. <laughs>